This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Walkers? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. I'm here with Trevin and Justin from EnergyX. This has been a long time coming. Trevin, we've known each other for like, I don't know, five, six years. It's been a long time. And we're time. just now getting you on a podcast. <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> we've both been busy. <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how we've gone this long, but you guys came in from College Station, which, believe it or not, is actually where I grew up. And I didn't go to AM. But that's, that's a, one of the most that's shocking a correction. things. correction. I actually went to AM, but oh. I do not live in College Station. Really? I keep trying uh, to get him to move. I know. He, he's been trying to get me it. to move. He'll, so where, even, where are you out of? I'm here in Houston. Oh, you're in Houston? Yeah. Okay. So Trevin actually had a, a neighbor down the street. His house went up for sale. And he's like, hey, you want to buy a house? I'm like, dude, no. <laughs> what's no. your what's your tie into College Station? And just you just uh, love it there. I don't like living in big cities. First of all, okay. uh, and then, you've been there for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. We moved in 16, okay, so yeah. we're crazy. We've got six kids. So when we had the fourth, I was like, we should probably move next to your parents. So we did. <laughs> That's a smart move. <laughs> yeah, That's a smart I was move. at that time. I was actually commuting from uh, College Station to downtown Houston every day. Uh, I was still working for uh, Brightburn at that time. You did that for about a year and a half? Uh, it was a full, solid year and a half, yep. maybe a little bit more. Everybody uh, thought he was I'd crazy. get up at like 3.45 uh, to get in the office early uh, and miss traffic. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be, they'd, they'd let me leave the office at 3.30. So I was home by 5. So the family didn't know yeah. uh, from their side. I just didn't sleep very much. Uh, <sighs> Man, that is, that's rough. It was nice, though, because like when it was the early stages of uh, Red Team, it allowed me to have an hour and a half, two ways. I mean, not many people were up at that time, so I couldn't do that many calls in the morning but in the afternoon i'd have an hour and a half of of time to talk to people about business and work uh so it, it ended up working out okay uh <laughs> well actually a lot of people learned that you were on the road really early in the morning yeah so they actually started calling you at you know 5 30 6 o'clock when yep. you were on the road thinking ah oh, trevin's up and i can i'm off so i i can talk about this yeah that and happened a lot too once you stopped working downtown and you stopped commuting people still <laughs> called you at six o'clock in the morning yeah and Missy oh. was like, no more of that. <laughs> I, I'm so glad I have to wake up at 3.30 anymore. I did I did that for a while. And now I'm 7, 7.38. I don't, try to, I don't try to do that early morning shit anymore. Yeah. I'm over it. I'm old. I need sleep these days. <laughs> I, I like sleep. Uh, I, don't, I still don't get that much of it. But um, but I, I love our I love our job. Like, I, it is so hard for me to quit uh, and just, like, slow down. Um, I enjoy uh, it. It means you're doing something right. So let's, let's give everybody a little bit of context. What is Energy X? So Energy X is a modular immersion cool data center company. Yep. Uh, so we built this from the ground up, uh, all of our own IP and everything. Uh, and really our focus is on providing um, compute as a service uh, for just any company. There's no there's no uh, qualifier there. Uh, but especially anything that has any kind of high performance compute or you need a lot of processing, we're really going to crush in any situation like that. So it looks a lot like almost like a Bitcoin mining facility, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, they started out uh, in 2017. Um, the first version of the company was to mine Bitcoin. Um, so what happened was back then, well, I guess in 2016, I read the Bitcoin white paper. Justin and I were working together at the time. I walked into his office and I was like, this is the coolest stuff ever. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, those guys around the office that you the management says, you know, hey, we need to get those guys back to their office to get back to work because they're out <laughs> planning another startup. Yeah. This was that moment. He, he walks in, he's like, we need to start a Bitcoin mining company and we need to do immersion cooled 
and containers and, you know, have our own infrastructure. And I'm like, and I'm an oil and gas upstream engineer, production engineer. And you were at Brightburn at the same time? I was at Brightburn at the same time. So Aggie Petroleum Engineer, you know, like standard career path, right? And this crazy guy comes into my office and he's like, hey, this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, okay, you go do that. I'm here to support (laughs) you, man. I got your back, bro. (laughs) So so the first time I went to him uh, was, uh, so I was, I at the time, I, I always automated my job. So I by the time I'd been in a job for maybe six months or nine months, I could always get my job done by 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and I'd ask for more responsibilities. They'd be like, go sit in your hole. Okay, I'm going to do whatever with my time. So then I started trading uh, like futures and options. So I just had a whole trading portfolio I was doing, and that was fun. Read the Bitcoin white paper. And I sold all that and started buying and trading Bitcoin. Uh, and then really by July, because that was May, by July, um, Maybe that was 15. I can't remember which year. But by I do remember that by July, um, that's whenever I started really getting intrigued with mining because I was like, it's the exact same as oil and gas. Like mm-hmm. you have to have a lot of capital. You have the lowest cost producer wins. Don't over leverage and don't buy stuff whenever it's expensive. If you can just follow those four basic rules in either industry, you can actually do well. It's just that most people can't follow those four rules. So I was like, I understand this. Execution uh, is difficult. Yeah. So I went to Justin. I was like, hey, we should do this. He's like, yeah. Probably not. We don't know anything about it. Uh, so I said, okay. So then like six months goes by and I do a look back and I was like, dude, if we had done this, we would have already paid out. <laughs> so I remember that conversation. I was like, I'm going to go do this. And that's where he's like, yeah, you should, you should do that. <laughs> I'll help you. Uh, and then, yeah, I ended up talking to friends and family and it was like none of my friends and none of my family, but somehow, you know, raised the first million to, uh, to mine Bitcoin in, uh, June of 17. We got lucky. Um, you know, we bought those S nines for like, 1500 bucks a piece mm-hmm. and by december they were worth like six thousand. uh so we got our rigs on online and we got like 60 percent of our money back in the first month uh so i looked like <laughs> a genius right i'd had no idea you know uh so before that though before we got all the money deployed and everything we went up because uh, i wanted to build a facility here in texas or um co-locate in one of the data centers here in downtown yeah uh so we were looking at different data centers met different con artists i mean yeah, whole, that was a funny story there's, was, a, there's a lot there's a lot in this space yeah it was it, it, and that was just in the oh, data no, center space this no, was a this tier was, three data center. this is a tier three data center we had a, a con artist was advertising co-location space on the internet i found him called mm-hmm. him up first his name was i think mike yeah it was mike or, or yeah mike and then his name was john i forget what it was but John told me that I needed to talk to Mike. And so Mike was the one that was actually, you know, the in person, but they called me from the same number. And I was like, I thought it was like a company line. Like I didn't really know. I'd, a lot of light bulbs should have been going off there. So we go meet him and it's in a big name tier three data center that he in had, downtown, in downtown Expensive. Houston, you know, like 15th floor, 20th floor, like legitimate data center. And he had conned the owners of the data center to give him the rights to some white space. Yep. And he actually even convinced them to build out for his projects that he is tenants that he had coming. Mm-hmm. And of course he was, you know, the rates he was promising us were a below market and not feasible at all, but we didn't actually figure it out until one day I started Googling his name and just saw all kinds of background stuff come up and, and whatnot. And so this was like 10, 11 o'clock at night. So I called Trevor and I'm like flipping out because we had just put our, $10,000 worth of Bitcoin miners on the rack. And I'm like, okay, I'm driving up there to go get them now. <laughs> and fortunately he wasn't there, but they wouldn't let me have them because I wasn't the person of record for that space. 
So we had to come back and we told them we had to do some firmware updates, something like that, something like that. And so we go in there with the cart and, you know, Trevin's of course, pulls them off to the side and is talking to him while his back towards <laughs> me. Like, and I'm just like, pulling them off the racks, pulling them off the racks, putting them on the cart, you know, like wheeling <laughs> them out. And then of course we let the security guard know. And he was over there in the knock, just watching from the window. And I'm pretty sure, you know, we had some concealed carry individuals around and whatnot, but we were, it was a, it was a fun experience, needless to say. <laughs> so was, that was early on. And then, uh, so then we, we go and there's this company called Gigawatt up in Washington and they've got the cheapest rates. So I was like, well, we're going to go see these guys. We can't afford to build, uh, at, and, and compete with them. They're just, you know, more competitive. So we go up there and look at it and I had already kind of gone down the immersion stuff. And so we went and saw it, knew it, they had a good facility, uh, met the CEO, all that checked out. The team seemed all good. Um, and then uh, when we were leaving, uh, flying back, that's when I told Justin, I was like, these guys have the right idea. Like mining is how we should be thinking about compute. Uh, so forget about, not not that don't completely forget about mining, but take, take the lessons learned and the ideas that these guys are really pushing the envelope and let's do the modular immersion cool data center. And it took a long time to build, you know, like we didn't build our first one until about two years ago. Um, but but that was really the genesis was seeing that in person. Like, yeah, this is, this is doable. I see how these guys are doing things. We could, we could, we can do this. <laughs> so was theirs modular too or no? No, theirs was just buildings. Uh, gigantic building. They were, they were doing um, metal buildings. And so they had a prefab design uh, so they could erect them quickly. And it was modular in that they could scale. Uh, the issue that happened there was, is that, you know, so we start mining, we make our money back, luckily. Uh, what I didn't know at the time was, is that 90% of the company was owned by these three Russians. Uh, they were, you know, doing some untoward things. Company ends up, the CEO calls me before they go bankrupt. And he's like, Hey, uh, company might go belly up. You want to make an offer? So I came in, made an offer to him. I thought it was super fair. Uh, he voted for it. They voted against it. 17 late, days later, they declare bankruptcy. Uh, I tried to buy it out through the bankruptcy, went through this whole process. Uh, it was a nightmare. Uh, so then about, and that was whenever I quit working at, at uh, Brightburn was in like August of 17 or 18, something like that. I guess it would mm -hmm. been 18. Uh, and so then I was that fall was trying to orchestrate the buy of the company and uh, the trustee was extremely difficult. Uh, so we ended up walking away uh, from that. And then going out of the kind of the, where it went from there was, is, you know, we knew that this is where compute was going to go. And that this growth of compute was going to really accelerate over the next 10 years. But there wasn't a lot of evidence yet that machine learning was really going to take off. I think the current, like that first, you know, 2010 to 2020 version of machine learning was really pretty difficult because it took a lot of human interaction. There was a lot of ways that it could get messed up because of people. I think we're moving beyond that now. Um and so my concern was, is it like, oh, it's going to be too far out. So I need to build my own customer base. And so we took a two, two pronged approach. We were trying to build this oil and gas tech stack, uh, which I think we'll come back to later. Uh, that's really interesting that allow us to do a lot of, um, deep learning and, and provide a lot of insights that operators can't get. Uh, but it'd take a lot of compute and then also build the data center stuff. Well, 2020 happens and, uh, all that stuff, you know, uh, the companies we'd invested in, everything is really difficult. So we're like, well, we're going to put that on, on pause. We'll just focus on the uh, data center side. So what was the conviction that you guys had to go all in on uh, kind of the cloud computing versus mining? Cause that's, it's a, it's a rare shift that you see, right? Cause everybody yeah. gets like so orange pilled and they're like, uh, yeah. you know, this is the way, right? So I'm kind of trying to get 
Also, I host the Energizing Bitcoin podcast, so you guys should go <laughs> listen to that. So that's why I'm kind of like really, really interested. But like, what what did you guys see, and what was like? Well, I think I'm, let me grab this one. Uh, as a whole, we've always been compute agnostic. So uh, there's a lot of solutions out there, a lot of providers. They're 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 trying to solve for one problem, and, and even within the the cloud space, or really the HPC space, or the the data center space. The, the industry is very siloed. It's like everyone's got their blinders on. They're looking at one problem, one widget, you know, whether it be a microphone, but nobody's really designing the microphone and the arm and, and the table and the whole thing. So we are, we're very high level. And so we like to look at the whole picture, especially, you know, Trevin's vision of compute, whether it be crypto, whether it be HPC, whether it be machine learning. At the end of the day, it's a chip. And mm. so the, the focus and where we see the value is really the infrastructure. And so building out that infrastructure infrastructure to support that compute and being compute agnostic and having a solution that can support a, you know, an ASIC miner, uh, a blade server, GPU server, CPU node, whatever you can imagine, that is what we're trying to solve for. And so that's also kind of what rolls into our cloud offerings of we are agnostic to both the hardware, both, you know, machine learning, both the software. We want to have a, a solution for all. Because not everyone's problems are the same. And so having that wide variety and giving people options to, to solve their own problems in a way that, that fits their needs, opposed to trying to cram a solution, you know, round, what is it, round peg, square hole, or square peg, round mm -hmm. hole, however you want to, you know, describe that. That's really where, how EnergyX kind of started and, and why we can encompass everything. So with, with Bitcoin mining, you've got ASICs, right? Mm -hmm. And so are you guys more GPU based? Will it compute now? So with the current, like whenever you're talking high performance compute, it it's really interesting in that it's it's extremely varied. Uh, you would think it would be a, like, oh, I'm doing deep learning, so I'm going to want to use a bunch of GPUs to to do my inferencing, and those are more efficient. But really, what we have is we've got a lot of of code software that's been optimized for CPUs. Uh, so you do end up having a lot of CPU usage, not necessarily because they're better at doing the job. It's just some of the software that was built is uh, more optimized to use that type of a chip. Uh, I think that the use of GPUs is going to grow a lot. Um, it has been. Um, so yeah, it varies uh, depending on what the customer needs. You know, guys are running websites. You know, it's going to be a lot of RAM, <laughs> like they're doing a lot of RAM and a lot of uh, of uh, network traffic for for what they're needing. A little bit of CPU. Um, so we'll we'll cover the whole gamut uh, of of what those users might encounter. And is everything you guys are doing immersion? Yeah. Yes. Hundred percent. So what? So give everybody if they don't understand what immersion is. For one, what is immersion? And two, like what's the what's the point of immersion? Point of immersion just uh, it's a more dense medium to remove heat. So instead of using air to pull the heat off the chip, we just use a fluid yeah. and it's just non-conductive. It, it's a little bit more um, of a challenge in certain ways in that, you know, you have material compatibility issues around your hardware. So you got to be really careful about your fluid. There's a lot of different um, characteristics that you want in that fluid. And this is kind of Justin where he, he specializes on our fluid side. So we do have our own fluid IP. Uh, and yeah, I think yeah, I, mean, I think immersion allows you and i think if you kind of tying in the question to crypto i think where crypto really drove immersion and the the problem that needed to be solved with crypto and particularly asics is the power density uh, mm -hmm. problem so in a con 
conventional air cooling system, an ASIC, you know, they have huge fans, tons of airflow. And the reason they need that airflow is because the density of air relative to a liquid is just so much lower. So by going to immersion, you're creating kind of this, you know, safe place for the, from an equipment standpoint. So if you get your fluid, get all the compatibility, right, you know, it's happy there because there is no dust, there is no dirt, there is no water, it's just oil. And so then with that denser fluid, it allows for more efficient heat transfer. And that allows you from an engineering perspective to place this uh, liquid cooled and immersion cooled piece of equipment in multiple places across the world and also in different environments. You don't need, like in a tier three, you've got, there's a huge amount of water consumption. You don't need these big HVAC systems. It's just, it's entirely because you need those because of the air. So you have to get to a a colder temperature on those uh, refrigeration loops and things like that to be able to reject that heat. But with immersion, you just don't need all of that equipment. So So it's it's much more efficient from a cooling perspective. It's much more efficient from a cooling heat transfer perspective and also from a capital perspective Mm. of what you can do with that. From That depends on how you do it. Uh, yes. So there are there are other companies that are doing stuff in the tier three space that are doing immersion. Uh, there's different types of immersion. So some of it's more expensive than traditional tier three. Some of it's uh, less expensive. Um, it, it's there is definitely no um, rule of thumb or standard right now in the traditional data center space uh, around immersion. They're trying to put that together through like the open compute project that Google has uh, and a variety of other, um, let's say, people within the industry trying to adopt some more standards, but open compute is probably the most, uh, well-known as far as, um, creating standards. So you guys are pretty much taking on the big cloud guys. Yeah. AWS, Azure. Yep. Who are a few other ones? Those are probably, I mean, those really are probably Google. the biggest. Yeah, it, Google. It, it's, it's just the big three. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you've got DigitalOcean and you've got, you know, a bunch of other, um, kind of middle tier groups, but most people couldn't name up you know, maybe mm-hmm. one or two of those and their market share is, you know, not very large comparatively to the big three. So, so you guys just woke up and chose violence. You're like, we're going to take right. on the biggest guys. in the world. <laughs> that's right. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, their CapEx is, is significantly higher on a cost per uh, megawatt than ours. Uh, we're able to manage our power costs due to our overall power strategy extremely effectively. Our cooling, you know, for a typical air cooled data center, you're talking 30 to 40% of, um, of your OPEX relative, relatively speaking, will be on that side where ours is going to be about 7%. Uh, so you have a huge, uh, differential on that. Um, and so your biggest drivers for any data center are cooling CapEx and power. Mm-hmm. And so we attacked all three of those, uh, yeah. initially from the ground up. So the whole build of the entire data center was to do an enterprise grade product, uh, with that in mind, even yeah. though we started out in mining. So it sounds like you guys have really dialed in the cooling. And then uh, obviously you guys are significantly smaller than a Google or a right. Amazon or anything, right? So you, you know it's going to be cheaper, right? Yeah. Significantly cheaper. But what what do you think that you guys, like what, what do you feel like was kind of like missing in the market with with some of these big players? Yeah, well, I think that a few things on what's missing. Um, the first thing I would say is, is that part of what we're doing is, I, is building a platform uh, so in allowing other companies to be able to stack their infrastructure, their software, whatever, on top of our hardware, uh, and have a way to get that geogra- geographically diversified, uh, in a very safe manner, I think is really critical. 
And so what we want to provide over time, and we're not there yet. I mean, we're just going to be launching our beta on EnergyX Cloud in, uh, in Q2. Um, so we're coming up with that shortly. But I think in the long term, the ability for these other companies to be able to come in and build and interact together in a very easy way of sharing data and being able to live within the same data center instead of shipping, you know, a bunch of data over here to do something and coming back. It's like, we'll see. I've got, you know, user A, B, and C. Here's here's the end users. Here's the other software. I can either cluster those together. I can cluster them next to one another. And so all of our data center management software was built around this idea. So we know exactly what compute goes where, who's got it, and how to utilize it. And then so your speed of traffic, like just all of it really starts to get unlocked whenever you think about everything at a hardware like base level, you mm -hmm. know? And nobody's thought about it that way uh, yeah. that I'm aware of. So like coming from like being so involved in the Bitcoin mining community now, things like decentralization and like sovereignty and things like those are like really big yeah. common denominators with everybody in this space. And with you guys coming from that space yep. too, do you feel like this whole like decentralization, like there's there's too much power in too few hands For with sure. maybe some of the bigger cloud providers? I mean, that's why I love the Bitcoin white paper whenever I first read it, you know, and I'm more, much more of a Bitcoin maximalist than uh, any of the altcoins and have always been that way. Um, so I do think that the issues that you have with the big three are that centralization, right? Like if I am uh, a person that just for some reason becomes persona non grata, and they decide to cut my service off, I've got no recourse unless I back that up uh, and I've already got a, an ability to spool up my website or do whatever it is that I'm doing, then I can have my entire livelihood shut down potentially uh, based on... We, we talked about this before we started recording. Like, I mean, the, the most famous deplatform we've ever seen was... <laughs> Trump, when he was president, got deplatformed from like all of the the major social media platforms, which is com completely crazy. Right. But then we started thinking about it. You know, like with with the the modern demonization of like things like oil and gas. Yep. Like, what if all of a sudden we got deplatformed? Yeah. You know, and that like scared the shit out of me. I was like, man, like our entire business is built on our ability to be able to distribute content. Yep. And if we don't have that ability anymore, like that's kind of terrifying because then you start to think like they think that they have a moral compass. That's right. But it's like, who is really, I don't know, it kind of ties in like this whole censorship right. conversation of like who has the most true north on their moral compass. And I think right? from our side, and that's what I like about people in the Bitcoin space is we don't try to define what that is, right? Uh, I think from our side, it's just a very clear, either you're breaking the law, or you're not breaking the law. And if you're not breaking the law, then it's none of my business and I don't need to, unless I've got a court order or something, you know, it, it's none of our business on what people are doing uh, amongst themselves, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's a lot of what Bitcoin is about, right? Is that anti-censorship and the and the freedom of, of communication and choice uh, mm -hmm. around our money. Uh, and I think the same thing is going to happen on compute. I think we're going to see this commoditization of compute. Uh, and as that happens and people become more informed and they start making decisions, they're going to not just want to take... Um, you know, where they do certain jobs, I think what you're going to see is, is a change in how social media, uh, how people interact, how people game, how people just do basic things that's going to migrate. Uh, but it has to be built on a more, uh, you know, open platform that is, that is, uh, much more fair to anybody who's going to interact. And then people are more comfortable as far as developers or companies uh, on, on building out there. Like mm. I wouldn't want to be building if Facebook had a plugin, I wouldn't want to be building things for on a Facebook plugin. Cause at what point do they decide for whatever reason, or whatever company I have 
that it wouldn't work, you know? Yeah. Uh, and what was the, what was the social media company that Amazon shut down? Um, parlor. Yeah. They shut parlor down. Uh, yeah. which is crazy. It's just like, well, we just don't agree. So, I mean, they killed that platform pretty mm -hmm. fast and then people didn't get back on. Not really the, like while it was really going through that growth mm -hmm. phase. Um, so, and, and it could be on, on either side. It doesn't matter. It's just, it should be a free market. Yeah. It kind of, not to go down the rabbit hole, but to have a little bit of a meta conversation here. It's like, it's almost like things like that, like even, even things like internet access yep. is I think almost like a utility in the right. same way that water and gas and everything else is right. Yep. It's like, just because our power was out yesterday when we came in and I was like, well, I have no power and I have no Wi-Fi. <laughs> I can't really do anything that we do. Right. You know, so you think about like, what do you actually need to like conduct business? Like internet's very much a utility for us. Yep. Right. So, but then again, do you want to like, I don't know, do you want the government to come in and run all the internet? Do you want the government to come in and run all the hosting? Like absolutely fucking not. So I think if you've got comp competition, you know, it's just going to take care of itself. I think we'll come in and undercut them and we'll have the disaster recovery and the speed of the other thing is, is just speed of operations, right? Mm -hmm. As things move forward, um, for business, your ability to go from an idea to a prototype to a published, whether that's software or product, you 3D print or whatever, that time frame is those iterations are going to get faster and faster. So the the problem that your big three have as well, they've got pros and cons, right? But one of the problems they have, they're sitting on 15, 20 years of tech debt. So they built all this infrastructure on the best technology at the time. But we've progressed a lot in 20 mm -hmm. years, you know? Uh, so that, to me, they have a competitive disadvantage there. What they have a competitive advantage on is a people have built, they, A, they've got just huge market share, right? Everybody knows them. But also they've had a lot of people develop technology on, for their platform. Uh, so it makes it really easy to be like, oh, I need to do this add-in or that add-in. Mm -hmm. It's already there. Uh, but I think the nice thing is, is there's other software out there that I think uh, is already starting to disintermediate that. So it's going to be like, oh, you've got your application over here, port it to me, you know? like. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to be very hard. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that the space in general is going to move uh, very quickly relative to the next 10 years versus the last 10 years. What do you guys see like the opportunities? Like what, like who are like the, the ideal kinds of clients? I know we talked about like maybe heavy compute stuff, particularly in oil and gas. You see tons on the, the G and G side. Yep. Um, like what, what other like kind of opportunity zones do you guys see for, for you guys? I mean, any, any SaaS company, I think we're a great opportunity for a SaaS company. Uh, and especially in oil and gas, because then if you can, if you, if you can run your job jobs cheaper and we can get you through your DevOps iterations faster. So there's multiple, uh, software platforms or applications that we're integrating, uh, onto our, onto our platform. Uh, one of which is a company called Kodiak, uh, which hopefully will be at the uh, energy tech night. Um, Kodiak is really great for DevOps and they use Kubernetes. So all your version control, all spinning up your instances and everything like that. So that we just want natively built in. And you just like say, I want an instance of however much compute and I want to pull in this software provider that does this awesome thing, drop that into the container. This other cool things like, like uh, security maybe, drop that into my container and then we just spin it all up. You didn't do mm -hmm. anything and what would have taken a guy weeks to months to do before, we're doing in, in minutes and it's cheaper than what you get at Amazon. And then you just drag in your <laughs> your, your your disaster recovery in there too. Like this is not available on the market. Uh, so let's talk about with the, I think the number one thing that people kind of think about with, with cloud compete is like uptime, mm -hmm. right? And especially just being the, like the modular nature of that, like what, what can you say about the uptime side? 
Well, that the so the uptime, one of the reasons we went with a modular design is A, the ability to scale the product quickly and be able to deliver it in a very timely way. B, though, was relative to uh, latency. And I think what you were kind of driving at originally was how do you get this compute to all of the necessary places as fast as you can? And that's really by having a, a very diversified footprint. And obviously, we learned that from Bitcoin, you know, yeah. like the decentralized nature of that. Like, let's just totally rip that off and take <laughs> that and use it as our own. <laughs> so you have the facility in College Station, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And then you said there's another one that you guys are working on as well? Yeah. So... Um, the private equity group that we're working with. So um, we will aggregate money for projects uh, through SPVs. Um, and so we'll have a variety of different backers uh, that, that go into any one SPV. Uh, so the one, the one that we're working on right now, our big project is in West Texas. So we've had Burns going through and doing all of our site engineering and everything. Uh, so we just got the information back and we're gonna be uh, going out and reach out to landowners to option that. So that'll be a 50 megawatt project that we do out there. Uh, he's also working on acquiring a data center. And once that data center is acquired, we're looking to put six of our units inside that tier three uh, mm -hmm. fence. Uh, so then that one's kind of nice because we can go to customers and say, hey, if you want to do your traditional storage here, because we're not really optimized for storage. That's like the one thing I'd say we, mm -hmm. we're not really mm -hmm. uh, built for. We're just compute. Yeah. Um, but if you want to do your storage, you can do that in here. Uh, and then we can sit outside, especially if you want something that's like super secure, uh, or super low latency, then that's a an optimal situation for us uh, to be able to do. And each one of our data centers does a ridiculous amount of compute. So having one customer take down a whole data center would be pretty crazy, even if they were doing G&G work or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, how are you powering these things? Yeah, or so- is, is everything on grid? Is it off grid? Is it a mix? Are you power agnostic? Like, I mean, we're power agnostic in that- um, you know, we're, we're, we like to use both renewable and non-renewable resources. Uh, so in that way, we're power agnostic, but we have to be relative to high performance compute. We need to be on, on grid because mm -hmm. we can't afford downtime. Yeah. Uh, and plus we need the networking traffic so we can't be on like stranded wells or, mm -hmm. and, and, and our cost per unit is extremely high, um, relative to Bitcoin miners. Yeah. Uh, so then be able to come out there and solve the flare gas issue like Caruso does, you know, like that's going to be that, you know, they're going to have a bread and butter there that we won't. Our issue also relative to our infrastructure is it's just more expensive. So for me to build an enterprise grade real data center, I don't have the same economics that a traditional miner does. They're yeah. just doing it for a, a much lower price. How does, I'm surprised I never thought about this before, but when it comes to the cloud, how does the uh, data transfer in terms of like internet and stuff like that work, right? So your facility, you're doing all the high compute between that and a yep. client. How do you? How do you do that? Yeah, like how do you? I mean, like I, I understand if you're like literally on site and you're plugged in. I understand how you're you're optimized there, but over. Yeah, so over, let's, let's is just do like an example. Five G or is it something no, different? Or? It's fiber. Okay, so fiber. let's say let's say that you're in Amazon. Uh, an Amazon data center with, you know, however many instances you have for all your servers, right? And you decide, look, we want to do some deep learning on all the video we've shot uh, and we want to figure out whatever it is. Uh, so you would, you'd be porting from your Amazon data center via a protocol that we have or that we're utilizing other people. We didn't come up with it. We're just, we're just implementing it. You'd, you'd port the data from Amazon over to our data center and then you'd basically put it on our NVMe flash store it there 
run, run your job. And then as the data is coming out, you're just, you're going to be inside probably a Kubernetes or a virtualization container. Once that job's done, you ship it back to wherever it came from and then shut down the instance and your pay time with me is over. Or you could do it the other way, right? As you, you like, I think that's how people are going to start, right? Cause if I'm a CIO of a company, I don't want to get, I don't want to lose my job by doing something crazy. Like, Hey, these guys are, you know, building these data centers and all sounds well and good, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've got a $5 billion company. Am I going to put all my stuff over there to start? Probably not. So I think with guys like that, you know, you say, look, let us do your HPC. Let us be your DR, right? And then as we build that up, I think it's going to flip-flop where we'll become the primary uh, and then Amazon will become the DR. But we'll have the infrastructure layer as code that enables that to happen. That's the key. So is there fiber in West Texas? Oh, yeah. Tons really? of fiber. The, the main Plenty. line that goes from LA to Atlanta Plenty. runs right through West Texas. It's on I-20. Oh my God, how did I not know that? Yeah, so we're just going to sit on top of that fiber backbone. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit, you guys got it all figured out then. I was yeah. like, I was like, you have to run a whole bunch of fiber in West Texas. <laughs> you know what's really cool though is uh, a lot of um, a lot of railroads run fiber and then uh, a lot of your pipelines now, uh, okay. if they're running like a big like interstate pipeline or an NGL pipeline, most of those guys run fiber now too at the same time, which makes sense. You got a lot of dark fiber actually intersecting all over uh, West Texas. Interesting. Yeah, I used to do a lot of fiber splicing back in the Marines. We'd run fiber lines, and then yep. somebody would literally walk up and step on it, and yep. it's glass, and so it would just break. And then you have to chop out that piece, and you have this little thing. You connect them in there, and you fuse them together. And you know, I've like watched somebody it. do that when they brought fiber into my house. That yeah. was always like, you know, kidney candy store, watching them pull out all those tools and connect everything. Seems a lot more glamorous than it actually is. It is. You do it like a thousand times. It's like it's like one time is good enough, yeah, and yeah. then I'm done. <laughs> so what do you what do you see, guys? in i don't know three to five years like what's the what's the goal three to five years i mean you're talking hundreds of these uh all over the country um yep. maybe over a thousand uh well in five years i think for sure over a thousand in five years but uh in the next three years you know hundreds um and then i think the real question is to me is where does that compute need to be right is it we've got to be very strategic about our locations so, yeah. like, you know, we may say West Texas, we may, you know, pick some state outside of Texas and it sounds like it's in the middle of nowhere, but putting it in on an island doesn't really do anybody any good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've got to be strategic from a power reliability, from a comms, mm -hmm. everything that the, the tier three data centers provide, it's got to be secure where instead of just one big building, it's a lot of small buildings. Well, I feel like you guys are really strategically positioned because especially now with the emergence of like chat GPT, right, right. right. And then possibly like GPT four right. on the horizon, which is like magnitudes greater. Yep. Tons and tons of like crazy high compute shit is happening in the world right now. Right. To where and Google just announced theirs based yeah. on yeah. Lambda now yeah. that OpenAI's, you know, released Chat GPT. So like a lot of this huge, huge shakeups happening in, in kind of the compute world right now. So I would see people are just now seeing this though. Like, yeah. and so to, to them, it seems like there's this, and it is a, like a complete, it's not know, new, but it's just like, it just now penetrated the mainstream, but they well, can use it finally. Yeah. I think the problem was, is like people were trying to do machine learning and it's like, Oh, I've got to go and I'm going to do this one thing. And then I got to classify everything, you know, and I got to have all these data scientists help me do it. Now we're automating that. Like I just saw, you know, a few months ago, I saw this company that um, they've got a software. And so they told the software like, hey, it's a it's a ML based software. I want you to build me. Here's a here's a design constraints. Build me an injector nozzle for a rocket. 
the the software built it according to the video on YouTube uh, <laughs> built this engineers this, are going to get replaced. <laughs> I know, right. They built this entire nozzle. It looked awesome. Then they shipped it over to this 3d printing company. They printed it. And so it took one guy to build this whole, like imagine if it was 50 years ago, how much time and effort that would have taken. It's like, Oh, it took me two weeks on a, on a GPU rig and you know, took me, you know, 10 hours on this 3d printer done. I've like, heard stories of engineers at, at places like Boeing and, you know, these big projects where they spend their entire career, you know, working on a fastener or, you know, yeah. something. That's gone. Very, very oh, yeah, those, days, those days are so far behind us. <laughs> they are. We even have uh, John and our team integrated ChatGPT into our Slack channel. Nice. And so now uh, the entire team is all day querying it. And so he's getting it. <laughs> he's getting it to do like machine learning stuff and he's building yeah. it into our tech stack. Other people are using it to write copy for social media posts yep. or, I mean, we even went as far as to have, um, we had it write a screenplay for a scene from Friends where Ross is on a drilling rig mm -hmm. and insert jokes and everything. And nice. you see this whole scene come to life. Like it understands how Friends jokes were written. Yeah. And like it understood the character. Like it's. It's crazy. So wild. It's so wild. What a time to be alive. All, all of this, you know, AI machine learning. As, as it gets released to the masses and everyone's trying to figure out how to use it and what it applies to, what it doesn't, that's going to drive the need for compute. So when Trevin talks about the hundreds and thousands and the three to five year, it's driven by this need for people wanting to do something dumb like make a friends video. Like mm -hmm. really, as far as adding value <laughs> yeah. to society, it does it that adds, does, adds minimal value and then the laugh, which I guess is good, but from the compute resources. Says an engineer. So yeah, I'm an engineer. So, <laughs> so but- you know, the compute resources needed for all those random ideas that come up is just is going to be exponential. And we're at the yeah. cusp of that. And so that's also the beauty of us. And we're the fact that we push all of our fabrication, you know, to across the nation into fab shops, opposed to a traditional brick and mortar building that's going to allow us to scale. I think the, the interesting part about it to me, though, is on going back to what you're saying just about compute, right? And AI and everything. If you look at how that looks, just imagine two years from now. Imagine how much things are gonna change in two years. Like for Chad GPT alone, what that can change. How many new companies are gonna get built around that, right? If there's dozens and dozens and dozens of new things that are now built off the back of yeah. that to do very niche things. Every day on right? Twitter. We're gonna see hundreds, if not thousands of these pop over the next two years. Uh, yeah, I, like, I, like there's like this whole like, you know how there's like crypto Twitter? There's mm -hmm. basically like an AI Twitter too, yeah. uh, which I'm like all into. Uh, I never post anything, but um, but I read everything. Uh, and there's like every day, there's like this new awesome thing that somebody came up with. There's like, oh, I integrated this and I'm doing that. Uh, but to me, whenever you look at all that, you need, there needs to be a platform like ours where you can do all your processing affordably, but you need to be able to collaborate. So like, let's say that I was doing something cool in the medical industry right um here in houston and i've got this really rich data set i think data sets are going to become incredibly valuable uh i've got this data set and i built this new ml product that went on top of that uh then somebody else sees i built it then they could be like hey i'd like to i'd like to you know rent your data for a little bit you know i want to license your data so then they, they could you could monetize that and then you got your compute and now they're sharing and it's like they could build an application that goes on to the other application and as long as your infrastructure as code is built correctly, like it's like your low code, no code, like the ability to just scale and iterate this stuff just gets so fast. You know, that's it's, what I'm excited about. It's crazy. I guess after we stop recording, I have some stuff to talk to you about on the low code, <laughs> no code side. Like it's 
it's what not not just like the speed, but also the cost. Like barriers yeah. to entry are going to be so 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 low. Yep. For tech companies coming into the space, because you yep. can spin up MVPs extremely quickly. You can go to a much much higher produced version of the MVPs very very fucking quickly, and it yep. costs you practically nothing. That's right. It's mind blowing mm-hmm. compared to even just like a few years ago, where it was like, oh, like I like because you think about the implications of like. I don't really know what the implications are going to be because now, now you don't necessarily have to go and raise as right. much money no. as you did before. Especially right? because if you have a like, oh, I need to do a, a five, $10 million series a because 90% of it's going to development cost. And now it's like, what if you spend less than 10% of that 5% right. on development cost? And then what if you're on a platform that allows you that already has a bunch of users on there, right? Like oil and gas companies or medical companies or whatever. And then you can just directly be able to see like, Oh, you know, there's X amount of computes already happening. Plug me in. I can solve this problem. You know, yeah. like how much does that cost from your point to do like once you have something like that? I don't know. It's like the app store, right? Like, yeah, like, OK, I'm on iPhone and I push an app. It's like, well, people can just search for my app and I'm monetized. This, this gets me excited about this. <laughs> like what a time to be alive. Well, like gas tech should just I think should really blossom over the next five years. I'm I really because so. I feel like it's been so behind. It's so always long. behind. But it's it like it's been, time to catch well, up. It's, it's, it's easy for us to say that coming right. from oil and gas, but as I've kind of like, you know, dipped my toe in other industries, it's just yeah. in conversations with other people on the tech side. Medical is just as bad. Oh, it's healthcare, worse. Yeah. like everybody's kind of bad. I mean, anywhere yeah. we just have large companies and the bureaucracy yep. and that kind of stuff, it's just slow to adopt. So I think it's just people. Yeah, people you know, are resistant people to change. Uh, yeah, people are very manufacturing resistant. though to me seems to be much more on the cutting edge. You know, because yeah. their margins are so thin. I think those that have survived have been like, well, we gotta, mm. we gotta get good at everything. You know, so I think that they're a little more adept. Uh, yeah, I think companies like healthcare and oil and gas that just have sometimes pretty good sized margins. Uh, you know, they're a little more lazy. It's like, well, we should probably just drill more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So if anybody's listening, they want to find out more information about EnergyX, what's the website? Yeah, just energyx.io. Okay. Um, the truth is, like I said, we're rolling out the cloud version, uh, you know, March or Q2, somewhere in there. Uh, so we're having a lot of things happen. Um, if you want to sign up for the cloud side, we're doing, uh, we're giving away a lot of free stuff there and then locking people into long-term contracts. We really want great companies to come in and beta test and give us their true feedback so we can make a great product. Uh, and then be happy to talk to any of them about, you know, um, what we're doing long term and uh, why their company might be a good fit on there. Besides just that it's a, a great value. And you guys are both on LinkedIn. So feel yeah. free to reach out to them on yep. there. Um, guys, thanks for thanks for making it down. Thanks for having this us. This is a great conversation. I'm super excited. Thanks, Jake. All right. Take care. Go, 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 go.